It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm so, I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama made it, ma. Anything's yeah. possible. Rainy days. Jump shot fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day. I get excited about it like when Tatum play a Jalen on the breakaway or Kyrie when he make a trade and nothing like the terrible analysts on the TV. So in depth that after you play it, you got a repeat. So in depth they might do an hour about the D League. So in depth you probably should pay him, but it's a freebie. Yeah, Corrales, Packard, and J. King locked on trying to get the 18th ring. And well wishes go to Gordon. Listen after every game is very important, Millie. Hey there, welcome back to the Locked On Celtics Podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you, as always, for making us part of your daily routine. We are here for you Monday through Friday throughout the playoffs and beyond because that's what we do here on the Locked On Celtics Podcast. I am John Corrales of Boston.com and RedsArmy.com here flying solo on the Thursday podcast carrying you through some of the odds and ends that we didn't get to on the post-game podcast and a couple of adjustments here. So there's some sad news that we need to talk about later on. Uh, I'm going to answer a question I keep getting about Kawhi Leonard and the Celtics in a trade. The uh, I'll play you a little bit of what happened with the Lockdown Bucks and uh, read to you a quote from Brad Stevens about matchups and lineups uh, interesting little perspective there on what the Celtics are able to do against the Bucks adjustments. And Kyrie Irving had a message for the team going into Game 2. All of that is coming up. First, I want to thank you, I, like I said, again, for listening on a regular basis. We are here for you Monday through Friday. We are the only Celtics podcast here for you on a daily basis. So if this is your first time joining the show, welcome. Thank you for joining us, and I want to implore you to please subscribe. Search for Locked On Celtics wherever you get your podcast, even on Spotify. We are on Spotify now, which is a big deal because Spotify curates their podcast. They don't just let anybody on. So go ahead and subscribe to Locked On Celtics. We are here for you regularly, and if you are a subscriber, please give us that five-star rating and a good review because that really, really helps us out. All right, let's start with... Kyrie Irving, who uh, it was revealed after the game, uh, sent a message to the the rest of the guys, and uh, I think it's just an interesting little thing that he is certainly not alone in doing. A lot of players who are injured have messages for their teams and whatnot, but you know, I think with a lot of the things that are going on around the league, it's good to see and hear that Kyrie is involved. In, in game one, you saw him on the bench kind of coaching guys, uh, talking to Shane Larkin, talking to other guys on the bench, kind of explaining things that are happening, you know, from his perspective, being as good as he is. And it's good to hear that even though he's not able to play, he's doing things that help. So here's the quote from Al Horford. Kyrie talked to us before the game and let us know what to expect. He put a lot of things in perspective to stay locked in and not worry about if we get some adversity or whatever, just play through it. I felt our guys, we, uh, we all really just did that 
They made a run. We stayed poised and moved on to the next thing. That team is tough. They're not going to go away. They're going to keep fighting, and I thought we did a good job of just playing on and just keep continually attacking them and not settle. So that's not to say that, oh, Kyrie said, keep attacking and don't settle. Um, So they did. But look, to have a leader of the team in his you know, current state, injured, not able to play, to talk to you and reinforce these things and be there for you, that's important. And it was important for the Celtics to stay locked in, as Al Horford said. And I highlighted on RedsArmy.com on a piece that I wrote today that the, the Celtics staying locked in and uh, Eric Bledsoe not staying locked in. So if you haven't read it, if you don't go to RedsArmy.com, Go check it out. The title is Burning Bledsoe, How Terry Rozier Has Dominated the Crucial Point Guard Battle. And the play that I'm talking about is one that happened in the second quarter where the Bucs were, uh, they had just tied it at 35. And this was a critical point because the Celtics had taken another big lead after the first quarter. And here comes Milwaukee fighting back. And this is the quote that Al Horford was talking about. Things that Kyrie said, and I'm sure that Brad Stevens and other people, uh, even Al Horford, have said to, to the younger guys, stay locked in. Do not worry if you face some adversity. Play through it. So in that play, the Celtics, again, had just gone down. They, they were up big, and they had just given up a run, a 13-0 run to the Milwaukee Bucks, and Terry Rozier hits a three in the corner. But what makes that notable is that Eric Bledsoe is not locked in. And as we said on last night's show, Eric Bledsoe is a problem. And they said it on Lockdown Bucks. Everybody knows. Everybody who watches this game and has watched this series knows that Eric Bledsoe is a problem for the Milwaukee Bucks because he's not providing anything. He's barely doing anything so far. And Terry Rozier is dominating that matchup. And that's a Big, big issue for the Bucks because that was supposed to be a matchup that they were probably expecting to win. And not only are they not, are, are they not winning, not only is it an even matchup, it's Terry Rozier dominating that matchup on both ends. So on this play, happened with about 8.15, started with about 8.15 left in the second quarter. Rozier goes baseline. Bledsoe just botches it defensively. Like I said, go to RedsArmy.com. You'll see the whole breakdown of it. Rozier hits the three. That's the composure that we're talking about. A team makes a 13-0 run at the beginning of the second quarter, which is problematic for the Celtics as it is, and they didn't hang their heads. They didn't get down. They didn't let it get too far away from them. They stemmed the tide and went on a run of their own. They they answered that run with a run of their own, and and took control back, which is which is huge. So, Kyrie is certainly not. I'm not going to sit there and say he is responsible for that, but to reinforce that statement that things are going to get tough, no matter where you are in this game, they are going to make their run. So you have to play through it. Uh, to have that reinforced by yet another star player on the team helps. It helps. And it helps to know that Kyrie is there. He's engaged. He's trying to get this team to win, even though he can't go out there on the floor and do it himself. He is trying to help. So 
that is uh, a very important uh, thing to know, and I-, I just wanted to talk about that for a minute. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA network of podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan, rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's move on to the lineups. And there is a very uh, interesting adjustment by the Milwaukee Bucks going small and an interesting counter to it by Brad Stevens and the Celtics. So let me toss it over to the guys at Locked On Bucks. Eric and Frank, and here is a little bit of what they had to say about it after game two. And yeah, I mean, we saw, we did see some small lineups. Um, and oh, I think don't we, get me started. I mean, it, it, it was really smart what uh, what Brad Stevens did. So when the Bucks go small for, for a period in that second half, he's just like, oh, you want to go small? I'm just going to go big as hell. And yep. <laughs> throws out Greg Monroe, who ends up getting guarded by Chris Middleton, and Monroe gets couple of easy buckets uh early in the fourth quarter and um again i mean this is a problem for the bucks is that like they they just don't offensively they're not really conditioned or i mean they didn't really have a line i think was shabazz at the shooting guard at yes that point? Like, yes he I mean, was again like you've you're got not going to- small you're not creating a small ball lineup if shabazz muhammad is on the damn floor like, you're not doing that shabazz did fine by shabazz you know like he had 11 points on eight shots tonight i mean he was fine but Shabazz is a six-six guy who wants to play like Greg Monroe, basically, right? I mean, did you see won- the time when Giannis got into the lane, looked to the right corner, and Shabazz Muhammad was cutting on the baseline underneath the basket? Like that's the antithesis of what you want on the floor for a small ball lineup. You want them to plant themselves in the corner and be ready to shoot threes. And Shabazz Muhammad is again. That's fine. Like he finds a way to be effective that way. But if you're trying to play a small ball lineup against someone that's going large against you, the only way to make them pay for it is to shoot threes. And Shabazz Muhammad wants nothing to do with that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that didn't work. Um, but but yeah, it, it was very classic Bucks to not play at all the lineup that seemed to work well for you in, in the first game. <laughs> 
statistically, you look at what Greg Monroe did. He had six possessions against Chris Middleton. Uh, if you look at the overall numbers, he had 22 against John Henson, which was about 65% of his touches came against John Henson. And that went all right. But against Middleton, who just can't guard Monroe in the post, Monroe hit two of two in those six possessions. There were a couple of turnovers, and he had an assist. And the team scored eight points. Monroe scored four. So Monroe hit a couple of baskets, assisted on another. So I don't know if that was a two or a three, but regardless, well, it had to be a two because they scored eight points. So he basically made a lot of things happen in a short amount of time. In only six possessions, they scored eight points, and that's good. And that's just an, an interesting counter by Brad Stevens to say, because some people might say, oh, well, they went small, we're going to go small, and let's roll. But they to- chose a different path. And here's Brad Stevens after the game talking about that, where he said, I think the bottom line is, that we knew we could post Monroe with whoever was guarding him in that setting. And if they switched Giannis onto him, we could still post him, or we could post Al against whoever the guard was that was guarding Al. The Al's ability to guard perimeter players and Gershon Yabuselli's ability to guard perimeter players give us some flexibility there. That's a very interesting point because we we think about what it does defensively, Gershon, uh, Yabusele and Al Horford, and the ability of big guys, Shemi Ojale, the ability of the Celtics big guys to defend out on the wing, why that is so important, not just because they can switch everything and they can stay in front of guards, and if Al Horford switches onto Eric Bledsoe for a, a couple of possessions, that's not going to be the end of the world. It's because that allows a matchup, mismatch I should say, on the other end, because because Al Horford, like Brad Stevens says, because Al Horford can guard perimeter players, and if the other team decides to go small with a bunch of perimeter players, then the big guys who are out there guarding perimeter players in turn have to be guarded by those perimeter players. And that is an issue for the Milwaukee Bucks. And that's why a guy like Al Horford is so sought after and so important that even if he's not doing anything, the biggest guy on the floor in a small lineup has to guard Monroe. And you can't double Monroe with some of these other guys because Al Horford can go out there and and be uh, a threat on the offensive end, and those guards have to stay with with Horford, and if you try to switch it up, Horford's just going to take that kid in the post, you know, mouse in the house, and score. So it'll be interesting to see what adjustments are made in game three by the Bucks on Friday night. But I don't know how much Milwaukee's going to go to these small lineups moving forward. I think they, they made a mistake in not playing Brogdon. I know Brogdon had... A bunch of turnovers early, but they got away from him, and I think that cost them. So uh, they're going to have to figure something out, but I don't know if going small is going to be the answer because they throw Monroe out there, and I just don't know if Milwaukee has uh, 
the personnel that they can trust to go counter that. Milwaukee's just going to have to go try to play their style. Uh, that's just and, and and hopefully they continue to not play some of their best lineups that that have worked against the Celtics that they tend to not play. So uh, we'll we'll see how the matchups go moving forward. We got a question on Twitter that is probably the third or fourth time both online and in real life I've been asked a similar question. It comes from at real underscore Bill Porter who says, take away the recency bias. Would you trade Brown and Rozier for Kawhi? And in parentheses, salary matching excluded. Now, that is an unfair question to, to phrase it that way, Bill. I'm sorry to say it because that that's not how it works. You can't just say, oh, the salary matching's excluded. Would you trade Brown and Rozier for Kawhi right now? Yeah. I mean, if there's no salary in place, if there's no salary cap, then, you know, Jalen Brown and Kawhi are going to be the, you know, the best case scenario for Jalen Brown is that it becomes Kawhi. So you trade him and you get Kawhi now, and if the salary doesn't matter, then sure. And you give up Rozier, you get Marcus Smart back. Yeah, sure, sure, yeah, that makes sense, sure. But that's not real life. That's not real life, and that's not a trade that I would make in real NBA life. And the question I keep getting is, what would you trade for Kawhi? What would the trade be? And I know that the basis of any trade, if, if, and I'm not saying I advocate for this because I don't. If the Celtics are to make any sort of effort for Kawhi Leonard, the package has to center around either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, not both, one of those two guys, plus the Kings pick, plus the Memphis pick, and maybe some other sweetener picks, a couple of those second rounders that the Celtics have, and whatever salary matching is necessary because Kawhi Leonard makes $20 million and you can't match $20 million with what Tatum or Brown plus you know other th- guys make. Tatum next season will be making 6.7. Jalen Brown next season will be making 5.1. And so that's just part of it. You, you got to find another way to make that up. You probably have to include either you know Marcus Smart somehow. You sign and trade him, uh, Marcus Morris, or or some other. The, the problem in a deal with the, in a pro, the problem in a deal for Kawhi Leonard is that matching the salary is necessary, and because he makes twenty million dollars next year, how do you match twenty million dollars? It's got to be smart. Yeah, smart re-signed and traded and some combination of these other guys. Uh, Rozier, that's – Rozier makes $3 million. And so even Rozier plus Tatum is $10 million and Kawhi makes twenty. Now you're starting to – and I know it's Kawhi. I know it's Kawhi and he's a superstar. And let's assume for a second that the health is fine and he, he's fine and he's happy. The – I, I feel like I'm repeating myself from when I didn't like the initial framing of the Kevin Garnett trade, which I'm still getting my balls busted for, but 
I will like to remind people that I knew immediately that I was wrong. I don't think I'm that wrong this time because Tatum or Brown, it's not like Al Jefferson back then. I feel like Tatum or Brown are future big time players, big time players. And so uh, I feel comfortable, confident saying that you're getting down the road of spending too much to make that trade. I think the Celtics are set up nicely. Next season, you've got Jalen Brown making $5 million. You've got Tatum making 6.7. The following year, you have, because of their uh, salaries, the, the rookie contracts, team options for the next year. Jalen Brown is going to make $6.5 million in the 2019-20 season. The, and in that season, Jason Tatum is going to make $7.8 million. In that season, Kawhi Leonard has a $21 million player option, which he he will almost certainly uh, not exercise and demand a supermax contract or a max contract. Just so happens that that's the same year Al Horford has a player option, which he will exercise, I'm sure, because that's $30 million, and he won't be able to get $30 million in the summer of 2019, so he'll, he'll opt in on that. Kyrie Irving will certainly opt out of his $21 million. He's going to want a big contract. It doesn't make sense to trade for Kawhi Leonard right now, to me, financially. I, I, I just I get it. They can do it. They'll, they can find a way. It does shorten their window. They would have to make some decisions because you certainly can't pay $120 million to four players and and continue to operate as a successful franchise moving forward. So I think the best scenario here is instead of paying Kawhi $30 million in the summer of 19, you do the obvious thing and pick up the options on Tatum and Jalen Brown. You pay them a combined $14 million and you've got those two guys Two years from now, with every, whatever improvement, hell, those two guys, as they currently are, at a combined $13 million is better. That's just, I would rather just have those two guys. All of this comes into play. All of the financials come into play when we're talking about Kawhi Leonard deals and all of that. It has to. It has to. Because... The Celtics are and have been operating under the premise of a contender now and a contender five years from now. they Ten years from now. You know what I mean? They want to not just be contenders for the next two, three years and have to rebuild again. Danny Ainge, through the most amazing gift in the world, the Brooklyn Nets trade, has restocked this team that in a way that no other franchise has been able to do. And I was having a conversation with somebody today that you have to really look at that Brooklyn Nets trade as one of the best, if not the best, the most influential, not influential, uh, franchise-changing trades in NBA history. Now, there's the trade that got the Celtics, Robert Parrish, and the pick that became Kevin McHale, And that 
transformed the team for sure. And that would be the leader in the clubhouse. And we don't know if this Nets trade is going to net the same results because that got the Celtics championships. Multiple championships. This hasn't gotten them anything yet in that regard. But the potential with all of the flipping assets down the road and all of the players that it's gotten to have now these guys and next year, hopefully, a fully healthy Hayward and Kyrie Irving for a full season with Tatum and Jalen Brown with another year under their belts, Al Horford still being Al Horford, you still have Marcus Morris on the team next season. You may have Marcus Smart on the team next season. You do, you do bring back Terry Rozier, theoretically. You pick up very cheap options on Shemi Ojolet and Daniel Tice for $1.3 million each. I mean, that makes perfect sense. So you run it back with these guys, and that's going to be an awesome team. And then eventually Al Horford gets too old. And who knows what happens in the summer of 2020, three summers from now, after his after he exercises that $30 million contract, do you bring him back that next year on a, you know, whatever, three, four, five million dollar deal, whatever it is, you know, to play out the rest of his career? At that point, he's going to be in his mid-30s, and who knows what he's going to be like then. But you give Kyrie Irving a big contract, Gordon Hayward's contract is coming up that summer of 2020 but then you start having to pay Jalen then you start having to pay Jason Tatum there's big money that's going to be spent there how do you build that team there you're gonna have to build another contender around those two guys so who knows but there is a definite path to being a championship contender next season and beyond for the next few years in the primes of Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving and then later on, six, seven years from now, when Jalen and Jason Tatum are 26, 27 years old and entering their primes, that's the beginning of the next contender. Why would you give up that flexibility when Tatum and Brown have such tantalizing potential? I think long term, yeah, you you maybe increase your chances. Well, okay, I shouldn't say maybe. You definitely increase your chances of winning a title when you throw Kawhi Leonard into that mix. But how much do you increase your chances of getting that title? Is it worth it? Is it worth that sacrifice? Is it worth sacrificing all of those potential contending years down the road? Is it? You go for it now, you have two, three years of really solid, we're basically going head-to-head against the Warriors. It's Celtics-Warriors in two or three straight finals or whatever. You have that potential. But with Hayward back and Kyrie back and Tatum and Brown a year older, you kind of have that potential anyway. And they've shown that they're the best defensive team. They can get better on offense. They can get better on defense. I don't know what additions the Celtics will make. You know, to fill Greg Monroe's spot, does he come back? To fill Aaron Bain's spot, does he come back? Larkin, Abdel Nader, I'm sure they will not exercise his contract next season. So his he's non-guaranteed. So there there's some there are some holes, some tinkering around the edges. I don't know, but I just don't 
I don't think the Kawhi Leonard to Boston stuff, even though Boston is the team that's most likely to do it, or or at least I should say most has the most assets to pull it off. I don't I don't know. I don't think that I'm there. I just don't think that I'm there. And maybe there is some recency bias. So maybe I am kind of looking at Jalen just dropping 30 and having career highs in the playoffs right away and Tatum having a, a great debut and playing two ways in the playoffs. Maybe I am a little swayed. So we'll see. We'll take a fresh look at this again, I'm sure, in the summer. But right now, I, it, I'm, I'm kind of out. I'm kind of out on that. So we'll just leave it at that for now. I'm sure I'll hear about this take much later on. We're going to end on some sad news, unfortunately, but uh, we did not mention this in last night's podcast. But Marcus Smart announced before yesterday's game that his mom is fighting uh, a – a bone marrow cancer. And um, he said that he talked to his mom. The quote is, I talked to my mom about it. She said she would rather see me here playing. That would make her feel better. Uh, At this point, from what they told me, they're just trying to preserve life right now. You can't fix it. Would have to get a whole transplant. And at her age, that's tough. Transplant would probably be more harmful than good. His mother is in her mid-60s. Just want to send thoughts. It's the second straight playoffs where the Celtics, we should be focusing on the highest of highs. And here's a a Celtic who is dealing with uh, tragic news. And so we hope that uh, his mom, Camilla, can, can beat this that they can treat it somehow and that she can uh, beat it and, and fight and, and see her kid hopefully get back to the court and play well uh, for her in her honor and and succeed and, and continue to make her proud. So uh, it's just sad that that's a thing that's happening, but I uh, wanted to mention that and, and obviously send our thoughts to Marcus Smart and his mother. I know everybody does, uh, and and just hope for the best. Uh, also, just to mention this, another horrible story to, that came out today. Uh, Greg Popovich lost his wife, Erin. Uh, they had been married for forty years. She had been sick for a while, and uh, it's just another tragedy for the NBA family. Obviously, uh, Greg Popovich is is now highly regarded as one of the greatest coaches of all time and uh, a guy that I respect just immensely and I hold in the absolute highest of regards on a personal level and a professional level. Um, I know that he can come off uh, a little rough with the media and there are some fun and some pushback with that and all of that but um his tremendous basketball mind his tremendous uh contributor to the sport the game the league uh and i know on a any personal level we share a lot of similar thoughts and and he he does do a lot of work that people don't know uh he's always i think his heart's in the right place 
and uh, it just I have a lot of respect for Greg Popovich. And um, for this to happen, I mean, this is, there's no good time to deal with something like this. Um, now, you know, in the playoffs, uh, after a rough season and, you know, everything that's been going on, uh, to, to have to be dealing with this for, for all this time is – I can't even imagine. I don't even know what that's like, but um, just want to – Send the thoughts out to Greg Popovich, and and hopefully he is uh, uh, able to take some comfort in the end of what seems to be a, a long illness and, and, and maybe some peace. So with that, I will uh, say goodbye, and thank you all for listening. Uh, this has been the Locked On Celtics Podcast. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.